Hey guys, today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Church Box. Remember how wonderful it was the first time you attended your church? You got the VIP treatment, a parking space close to the door. The greeters went out of their way to be kind and helpful. A free latte at the cafe, a gift basket, and a short meet and greet with the pastor. Well, now you can experience that same treatment every Sunday. Introducing Church Box, a monthly subscription service that sends four new family disguises and background stories each month with access to a one-day rental car each week so that you can look brand new. You can be Bob and Carol, who recently moved to town from Iowa. Or maybe you're Kenneth and Grace, who have been searching for a new church after your last pastor went seeker. Each church box disguise is handcrafted by our team of former CIA undercover operatives for maximum deception. If anyone recognizes you, we'll give you your money back, no questions asked. Stop being just another face in the crowd. Restore your VIP status with Church Box. Listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth Jr. What is up, family? Welcome back. Another week here on the podcast, and I'm happy to be back with you. And um, I can't wait to give you what I got today. This I know the title sounds weird. You probably looked at it and thought, I thought we weren't supposed to hate. And I'm sure if anybody's out there that's a parent, you've told your children, we don't use the word hate. And <laughs> so it might seem a little odd, but it's going to be a powerful episode today. You need this one. Um, and as the title um, told you, I'm going to give you some reasons from the word of God today why you need hate in your heart. It is so important. It is so vital. Got to have it, especially if you're going to be uh, a world changer or a, a generation changer. You're going to do great things for God. You must have hate in your heart. And I'm going to talk to you about why in just a moment. Before we jump into that, let me just say this. I'm so proud of my wife, Carolyn. And she just on this last Friday launched her new podcast as well as her new blog website. Um, And you guys that are listening, if you are a mother, if you're a lady that listens to this podcast, whether you're a mother or you're going to be a mother in the future, um, you need to check this out. Very, very powerful. First podcast launched last week. It is now available on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher. Anchor, and Spotify as of recently. So five outlets where you can get this podcast. You can search Nonstop Mom or you can search Carolyn Shuttlesworth and you'll find the podcast on any of those five outlets and um, it's going to bless you. We've had people already writing back. Hasn't even been a full week yet. And we have people that are writing in and saying, thank you. Thank you so much for doing this podcast. One lady wrote in and said, I cried almost the entire time listening to the podcast, much needed content. 
And uh, my wife is really going to be a blessing to you. Those of you that are ladies that listen to this, men, do not subscribe. But ladies, please subscribe. And then check out the blog. She's releasing uh, new articles on her blog every Tuesday. So tomorrow, if you're listening to this on the day it released, tomorrow a new article will be available. But you can check her website out at nonstopmom.net. That's nonstopmom.net. And a new article blog post for sure every Tuesday. And then she may release more than that when she, you know, feels prompted to write something. But then the new podcast episodes for her podcast, Nonstop Mom, are going to be launching every Friday. So you'll get a new podcast episode from me on Monday and then a Worship Wednesday on Wednesday. And then, of course, she'll be releasing hers on Friday and uh, new articles on Tuesday. So check it out. I know it's going to be a blessing to you ladies that are listening, uh, whether you're a mom or not. She's going to be talking about, you know, faith. She's going to be talking about uh, parenting, motherhood, homeschooling, all the things that ladies have been writing in and asking her about. And then let me just say, this this is awesome as well. She just uh, launched with that her new Facebook page. So if you are on Facebook, check it out at Nonstop Mom. That's the name of the Facebook page. And then there's a private Facebook group that is attached to her Facebook page. And in that group, she's going to be doing uh, live videos and having discussions with the ladies, um, you know, all kinds of things, giveaways, free giveaways. So join the uh, the closed face group uh, Facebook group as well. It'll be a massive blessing to you guys. And I know, I know that you'll enjoy it because people have already been writing in, um, and we're getting testimonials literally already, and it hasn't even been a full week. So I'm encouraging you guys to check it out. It's going to be a phenomenal resource for ladies. Um, I didn't know this, but when I, when we were kind of looking, putting the thing together, I didn't realize, um, how little there is, even for, for something like, you know, Christian um, moms that homeschool uh, resources for them. So this is going to be a massive resource for a lot of people, and uh, I want you to get in on that. All right, let's get into this today. I'm going to talk to you about, I'm really going to give you five different reasons why you need hate in your heart. You need hate in your heart. Now, if that strikes you weird or odd, and you've heard the opposite that, you know, you need to remove hate from your life. I'm going to explain to you why that's not true. You know, hate is not something that needs to be removed from your life. It's something that needs to be directed properly in your life. I'm going to say that again because it's a very important point. Hate is not something that needs to be removed from your life. It's something that needs to be directed properly in your life. So it's okay to hate if you hate the right things. In fact, there are things God hates. There are things Jesus hates. The Holy Spirit hates things. It's not wrong to hate. It's wrong to hate the wrong things. But today I want to give you um, five things that you must hate. These things need to be in your life. I hate for these certain subjects because if you love God then you'll hate what he hates. But let me start by saying this, that uh, number one, you we never hate people. 
I want to get that out of the way at the beginning of the podcast. You're not going to hear me anywhere in this episode today talk about hating people or hating certain religious groups or hating certain people groups. It's not about people. We don't hate people. In fact, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 20 that if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar for he does not love his brother for, excuse me, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So John's telling us here in 1 John 4, 20, that you can't say you love God and hate your brother at the same time. The love of God's not in you if you hate your brother. You cannot hate people. The Bible says Jesus gave us new commandments in the New Testament. The first one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, your mind, your strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So in this new covenant we have with God, love for people is required. Love for God is first, love for people is second. So I'm not talking about hating people. That's not the subject of this podcast. And then you also need to remember too that God deals with people that hate him personally. You don't have to deal with people that hate God. God said that he would deal with them himself. Um, the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter seven, verses nine and 10, listen to this. Now uh, know therefore that the Lord, your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. But now look at verse 10 and he repays to their face, those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. So understand, you don't have to worry or deal with people or get revenge for God or any kind of anything like that. God deals with people who hate him personally. The Bible says that. And he also deals with people who hate you and try to curse you. The Bible says that in part of the Abrahamic covenant, God said to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, He said, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. So you don't even have to take, you know, you don't even have to take action on your own behalf for people that not only hate God, but hate you. God said He would take action on your behalf for people that hate you, those that that spitefully use you. It's interesting. Uh, that God said that people were not to touch his anointed ones. So God deals with that stuff personally, and we don't have to do it. In fact, he gives us instruction in the New Testament that we are to pray for our enemies. I I was actually preaching on this recently, and one of the things that came to my mind was the fact that, uh, you know, people think God's different in the Old Testament than he is in the New. You know, some people have this picture, like in the Old Testament, God was this like warlord with, you know, he was, he was rough and, and, you know, did, you know, mighty things. And then now in the New Testament, he's soft and, you know, cuddly and loves, no, God does not change. The Bible says he actually said that himself in Malachi chapter three, he said, I'm the Lord, your God. I do not change God's nature his characteristics, everything about him remains constant throughout eternity. He remains the same. Hebrews says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So God wasn't one way in the Old Testament and then something different now where where the Bible says that, you know, 
you see these, these acts of vengeance he takes against people that come against him in the Old Testament, he's still the same God today. He's still the commander of an army today. But understand, because of this new dispensation of grace we're living in, where God is giving people a space to repent and come to Jesus, he may not deal with people as quickly for their wrongdoing as he did in the Old Testament. And then he tells us to pray for our enemies. And I used to think, well, man, why? Do, you know, if, if in the Old Testament God just destroyed His enemies, you know, the, you know, why? Why is He telling us to pray for Him in the New Testament? Because in this new order of love, think about this. And God showed me this: the only thing, because as I just read to you, if you're under this covenant, if you're a Christian, if the Abrahamic covenant has become real to you as a Christian, you know the same things God promised Abraham. He's promised to you. So he, he wasn't just telling Abraham, I'll bless those that bless you and I'll curse those that curse you. He says that same thing to you. I'll bless those that bless you. I'll curse those that curse you. And the Lord spoke to me once when I was praying and meditating on this. And he said, the only thing standing between your enemies and my curse are your prayers for your enemies. Think about how powerful that is. The only thing standing between my curse and your enemies are your prayers. So when God tells us to pray for our enemies, our prayer is actually a buffer of protection around our enemies from the curse of God. Why? Because he's willing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So if we're if our hearts are aligned with God's heart, then we're not willing that any should perish. We're not wishing that people be destroyed. We're not, we're not wishing that people you know, die without the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so we pray for our enemies. We pray for those that try to come against us and spitefully use us, the Bible teaches. And uh, as we do, it gives them a space of grace to repent. Very interesting thought here, uh, which I won't get into in this podcast, but there's a difference between unbelievers in the New Testament and enemies of God, wicked people, people that know the truth and actively come against it. There's a difference. And you can read that in Acts chapter 13. I'll just tell you briefly, Paul is preaching to the governor, Sergius Paulus, and trying to convert him to Christianity. And at the same time, a wicked and evil sorcerer named Elemus is whispering in the governor's ear and telling him to reject all of Paul's teaching about Jesus Christ. A wicked, evil man who is actively coming against the gospel, actively coming against the conversion of the governor. And look what Paul does. Paul curses the man and actually commands him to go blind. And from that moment, the Bible says, the man is struck blind by the power of God and has to be led around by the hand. So you can see in that one picture in Acts chapter 13, that one story shows us a picture of three different kinds of people. Number one, a believer who has an agenda to win the lost. That's Paul. Number two, an unbeliever who needs the gospel and needs Christ. That's the governor, Sergius Paulus. And number three, a wicked person who is actively opposing the agenda of God. That's the sorcerer. And you can see how Paul, 
the apostle of God dealt with that situation. So you understand there's a big difference between someone who's an unbeliever and somebody who's an enemy of God. And I won't get into that in this podcast, but we're not called to hate people. That's not what this podcast is about. But what I want to show you, which is very, very important and very powerful, is that when you love God, you will align yourself with God's desires. Now, here's a, this verse that I'm getting ready to read to you is so vital for this podcast. This would be, I believe, the, the verse that this podcast uh, stands on and is based upon. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, check this out. The Bible says, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So here Jesus is teaching about how you cannot have divided loyalty. It's impossible. He's saying that if you have two masters, without question, you'll love one of them and you'll hate the other one. So you have to understand from the very top of the podcast today is that if you have a master and you love him, then anything that is a separate master in the world, you have to hate that other master. So understand, that's what Paul was teaching the Corinthians, you know, when he was teaching them about uh, unequal yokes in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. He was telling them, do not connect yourself with unbelievers, because what relationship can there be between light and darkness, between God and the devil? That's what Paul taught. So what he's trying to show them is, is that there's no commonality between these two forces. And that's what Jesus is teaching in, in Matthew chapter six, that you can't have two masters. You'll hate one and you'll love the other. Understand that. And uh, David was a man. Now think about this. In the Old Testament, David was a man after God's own heart. So there were things that he did wrong, but there were things, many things he did right. And one of the things that you can see why he was, a, because of the fact he, his heart was so tight knit with God, Listen to the things he said. Like, for example, Psalm 139, verses 21 and 22, David wrote the, these words. He said, do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. That word perfect, I hate them with perfect hatred. In other translations, he says this, I hate them with total hatred. I hate them with utmost hatred. I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. David wrote those words because of his love for God. He said, don't I hate the ones that hate you, God? Don't I loathe those that rise up against you? Yes, I hate them with a perfect hatred. What do you think drove David to destroy Goliath and cut his head off and then destroy the rest of the Philistines with the Israeli army? He heard Goliath blaspheming the God that he loved with all of his heart because you can't serve two masters. There's no way you can, if you truly love God, you can't compromise and say, well, you know, I do love God, but also, you know, the spirit of this world is pretty awesome too. You know, I, I do enjoy participating in the spirit of this world, that antichrist system. You know, sometimes it's, you know, I like to get out there in that antichrist. It's fun, you know, I enjoy that, enjoy that time. 
you know, we're opposing God's principles and God's laws. No, you'll either hate one and love the other, or you'll love the other and hate, hate one. You'll either love God and hate this world system, or you'll love this world system and you'll hate God. And that's what the Bible teaches. And I want to show you here five areas in, in your life that you must hate. You've got to. You've got to hate it, number one, because here's the deal. As I said a moment ago, if you love God, your heart is aligned with him and you love what he loves and you hate what he hates. So number one, if you're taking notes, you need to write these down. Number one, you've got to hate wickedness. You must hate wickedness. If you love God, you will hate wickedness. Listen to Hebrews chapter one and verse nine which, by the way, is quoting Psalm 45, 7. So you can find this scripture twice in the Bible, in the Old Testament and the New, and it's in reference to Jesus Christ. This is a messianic prophecy. It's talking about Jesus even before he came to the earth in Psalm 45, 7, and it's quoted in Hebrews 1, 9, and the Bible says, you, speaking of Christ, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Think about that for a second. The Bible says because Jesus hated wickedness and loved righteousness, that God set him above his companions. So, let me just say, Christ, if you're studying Hebrews chapter 1, one of the things you'll find out is that Jesus Christ is the perfect picture of the will of God on the earth. That's Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, that he is the total representation of God's will and agenda on the earth. So we understand that Jesus Christ is the prototype man of the New Testament. He is the example of what God wanted every new believer, new creation to be. And so he models it for us, being all man and all God at the same time. He, he lived life victoriously and completed and passed every test without problem so that we could have a picture of what our life is supposed to look like. And one of the things we see about Christ is that he loved righteousness and hated wickedness. And therefore, so you can see when you read that verse, therefore, that means that God made a decision to do something because of what Christ had done. This is a reactionary response that God uh, is moved to action or provoked to action by the actions of Christ. And the Bible says, because you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness, therefore, God has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. So understand that Christ was promoted because of his love for righteousness and his hate for wickedness. We can see that throughout the entire Bible. I mean, I could give you scripture after scripture that talk about that. For example, Psalm 8411, the Bible says that God will not withhold any good thing from those who walk uprightly. Psalm chapter one, verses one through three, you know what the Bible says? That you're not to stand around with sinners or join in with mockers or sit in the counsel of the ungodly, but delight yourself in the law of the Lord. And if you do, 
Then you'll be like a tree planted along the riverbank that you'll bear fruit in every season. Your leaves will never wither. You'll prosper in all that you do. Why? Because you love righteousness and so you obey the commands of God. You've got to love righteousness and hate wickedness. You can't love wickedness and love God. Why? Because of the fact that God is our righteousness. The Bible teaches us that, that God is, the Lord is our righteousness. So you understand, and by the way, if you're looking for that, that is actually found in the Old Testament. The Lord is our righteousness. That's where we get the uh, the term or the name of God, Jehovah Sidkenu, God our righteousness. It's found in, um, I believe it's found in Jeremiah 23, 6, where, where Jeremiah the prophet says that the Lord is our righteousness. He's our righteous savior, one translation says. Uh, so you understand that you can't separate righteousness from God. God is righteousness. So if you love God, you love righteousness and you hate what opposes righteousness, which is wickedness. You can't love wickedness and love God at the same time. Two masters, you'll love one and hate the other. So if you love wickedness, see, that's why the Bible, the Bible teaches that there are men on the earth who love darkness because their deeds are evil. That's why people love the nighttime to do, you know, that's why robbers for the most part come in the night because the darkness cloaks their evil deeds. That's what the Bible's trying to teach is that that's why men love darkness because their deeds are evil. They want to keep their evil deeds hidden in the darkness. The devil works in the darkness. That's why even Paul used that example, as I said a moment ago, when talking to the Corinthians and said, what relationship can there be between light and darkness? Well, how do you know? Well, you, you, by just looking at the word, you can understand that God is light. His word. And you've heard this on this podcast many times. God is his word, John chapter one. And the Bible says in uh, Psalm 119 and verse 130, that the entrance of God's word brings light. So you can't love the word and love darkness. You can't love God and love wickedness. You've got to hate wickedness and you've got to go to war with wickedness. In fact, did you know that that's one of the reasons, and some would say it's the main reason, that Job was so blessed in his life? It's funny to me how uh, people focus on Job's problem so often. That was such a small portion of Job's life. Job lived a long time, a very long time. And the time that he struggled was a very short period of his long life. But you know what the Bible says in Job chapter one, there was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz and he was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. And then it begins to talk about the fact, verse uh, three of Job one, he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in the entire area. It's funny how the Bible gives us those two things together, directly together. He was completely blameless had complete integrity, feared God, stayed away from evil, and was the richest man in the entire area. 
Why is that the case? Because the Bible tells us God will not withhold any good thing from people who walk uprightly or righteously. That's why you've got to hate wickedness and love God. God, the blessings of God, everything attached to his presence only comes when you obey his word. And when you love him, you obey his word. John 14, 21. So you understand here, it is so important to hate wickedness. I'm not telling you to hate people. You see, because people mix that up oftentimes and they look at people who do wicked things or, or you know, they look at sinners and you, you get that holier than thou mentality and you start to hate people because they commit sins. You can't hate sinners for sinning. It's what they do. Sinners sin. You can't hate gay people because they're gay. You know, you can't hate murderers because they murder. You can't hate people because they sin. That's what sinners do. If you have an unregenerated heart and spirit, if you're not saved, if you're still dead in your trespasses and sins, you have nothing to combat evil. You have nothing. You don't have the power of the Holy Ghost that helps you live a holy life. You don't you don't adhere to the word of God which is fuel for holy living. So you have no you have no defense besides the natural uh, morality of man or the natural conscience of man to fight against wickedness. I can't get mad at sinners for sinning. <laughs> By definition, it's what they do. I love people. Jesus loved people. Do you know not one person Jesus ministered to was a Christian? Every person Jesus ministered to was a sinner because he hadn't died yet, so no one was saved. Every person Jesus healed was a sinner. Jesus loved people. He loved sinners, and he died for them, shed his blood for them. You can't hate people because they do wicked things. You pray for them and ask God to give you compassion for them, and you give them the gospel, and you compel them to come in. But you hate wickedness. And let me just address this quickly because in our generation— this postmodern society that we live in where people make the argument that there's no black and white truth, that there's no solidified truth, that everything's relative based on your experience and based on your perspective of life. Let me, uh, by the way, postmodernism, in my opinion, one of the most evil things to hit the world, this whole thought process that everything's fluid, that everything's just an interpretation of where you're standing, whether it's right or wrong, there's no uh, defined truths. I don't believe it. You know, it, it's it's seeping into the church. It's seeping into Christians' minds because of society, and it's evil. Because the moment you start to believe that there's no solidified truth, then you have to throw the Bible out as God's inerrant word because it declares some things are true and right and just and righteous and some things are untrue, false, uh, evil, wicked, and should be abstained from. But see, this generation, this postmodern society tries to confuse us and tell us that as long as we're not hurting anybody, our truth can be our truth that's defined by what makes us happy. And it, it'll destroy your life if you live that way. So let me talk about it for a second because we have to say, you know, one of the biggest arguments that we have when it comes to hating wickedness is, well, what do you, you know, what do you say about the LGBTQ community? What do you say about them? Because obviously they are living a very wicked lifestyle as defined by scripture, Lauren Daigle. 
Just thought I'd drop that in right there. Leave that right there. Um, you know, when are, when are Christians going to just start reading the Bible and understanding what it says and then standing up for it in public? I don't understand why there's so many Christian, you know, celebrities that will not stand by what the Bible says. And I'll say something here that I probably, maybe I wouldn't say it from the pulpit, I'll say it on my own podcast, is that as much as I can't stand the positions and the thing uh, that that John MacArthur, Pastor John MacArthur takes and the things that he preaches and teaches and says, you know, I as much as I can't stand that, I will say for him to his credit, he's the only preacher that I've seen who who was questioned, who went on a nationally syndicated television program and was questioned about homosexuality as a sin. By the way, in the presence of homosexuals on the panel who were also being interviewed and stuck by what the Bible says about homosexuality and did it not in a haughty way, not in a condescending or hateful way, but in a way and actually turned to the person on the panel and began to explain to them why he held this belief from the Bible and why it's dangerous. I mean, it was actually masterful. And as much as I disagree with every other thing that he stands for and believes, you know, I, I was just impressed because we've got full gospel preachers and charismatic celebrity Christians that will get asked these questions and fumble all around the answer because they, they don't want to lose their popularity and don't want to lose their audience and don't want to lose, you know, whatever, you know, financial income might be the result of their fame by answering truthfully and biblically on, on the subject. And it blows my mind. You do not have to hate people in order to hate wickedness. You do not have to hate gay people because of their sins. That's insane. You know, and they'll, they'll push this thought process on you because they'll say, well, you know, it's just who I, it's part of who I am. And so if you hate, you know, what I stand for, what I do, then you hate me. No, that's, that's not true at all. If you hate the things that I do, you hate me. No, that's not true at all. I can love a person and not love the things that they do. I'll give you a perfect example of that. Imagine a mother who had an only child who was, who was her son that she loved her, you know, her whole life, loved, loved, loved her son. But her son later in life got uh, to a place where he began to make wrong decisions and went through a, you know, went down a dark path. And let's say that her son ended up murdering, you know, eight or nine people. And as a result is on the, is on death row and then comes for, uh, you know, his execution and she goes to the execution of lethal injection and sits in the room where she sees through the window as they're getting ready to administer lethal injection to her son who murdered eight or nine people. She sits there in the room and tears stream down her face and she cries. And I'm sure people would sit in the room and say, how could that woman cry and mourn for a man who murdered eight or nine innocent people 
and took their lives from them. I'll tell you why she can do it. Because she is the man's mother and loves him. Doesn't mean she loves murder because she loves her son. Doesn't mean she loves the the killing of innocence because she loves her son. She hates what he did. She can't stand what he did. But, and obviously it's taking her son from her now. What he did is robbing her of many more years with her son. She loves her son, but hates what he did. Just because people do things that are not holy and righteous doesn't mean you can't still love them. I mean, imagine if that was the case. Imagine if Christ's love was based upon people's personal actions. Nobody would be loved because the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So you understand in this society we live in, don't believe the lie that you can't love people if you don't accept everything about them. That's the most stupid thing I've ever heard. And it's ridiculous. You absolutely can love people independently of their actions. Absolutely I can. I have friends that don't agree with me politically. In fact, I have friends that uh, to a large degree would oppose the things that I that I uh, believe, you know, even politically. I'm not talking about obviously religiously, but you know, it doesn't mean I go every time I'm around them, I try to engage them in a violent political debate. I don't protest their house like I can't be your friend anymore because you just don't believe like I believe. I can love people without you know accepting everything that they believe or do. I love people. You've got to love people, but you have to hate wickedness. I can absolutely hate murder, homosexuality, all of these different things, lying. I, I can hate them all without hating people. And that's what we have to understand. You've got to hate wickedness. Number two, you must hate sickness and disease. You've got to hate it. It is an enemy of God. All sickness All disease is an enemy of God. How can I say that? Well, first of all, think about this. Our God is the God who heals. He actually said that in Exodus chapter 15 to his people. He said, I am the God who heals you. It's not only part of his personality, because that's the, you know, they started calling him that after he said that, Jehovah Rapha. That means the God, God, our healer, Jehovah Rapha. I am the God who heals you. So it is who he is. You can't separate it from him. He said, that's who I am. I'm the God that heals. But it's also a portion of what Jesus died to deliver to us. So understand that Christ shed his blood to purchase healing, took stripes upon his back to purchase healing, to deliver it to us. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2.24, by whose stripes you were healed. So understand, Christ came to purchase healing for his people. God is the God who heals us. So anything that opposes that is an enemy of God. When sickness and disease try to come and attack your body, they are doing so as enemies of your covenant and enemies of God. You can't truly love the healer without hating that which opposes his healing power, sickness and disease. You can't love God truly and not hate sickness and hate disease. You know, I want to make a point here because I've ministered to many, many sick people in my ministry. 
prayed for many sick people. I've laid hands on thousands and thousands of people. And one of the things that I've seen, not only through my ministry, but ministries that have gone before me, is that it seems like that when the enemy puts sickness and disease on people, he also attaches people to those people. And these are, maybe they're well-meaning, some of them, but I've seen it as though they actually are there to foster the spirit of infirmity and sickness and disease on people. These are individuals who will actually keep you from receiving your healing because they they'll they'll literally they'll <laughs> I don't even know how to say it they'll groom the sickness and disease they'll it's almost like oh you know you need me because you've got this sickness and all oh, you you know I'll help you you know I'll just keep you strong through your sickness and disease they actually are like helping the sickness and disease stay on you I've seen that so many times and see, this whole, you know, oh, I, I, if you listen to my episode on prayer or, or I was talking about the girl that came up with the, uh, this is so annoying. She came up with that uh, formula online where she said the way to pray prayers that God can answer, you know, pray, pray something that you want plus, but if not, then a desire that you know God would approve of and that equals your prayer, or your answer. So it would be like this. Here's once again, I'm bringing up this stupid formula that I found online, but she says um, it would be an example like this. Oh Lord, heal me of this cancer. But if not, then use it to make me a stronger believer and minister to others with the same problem. So like, you know, if you have that stance towards sickness and disease, then you don't understand God. Because if you have this idea in your mind that God doesn't want to heal you or didn't heal you when Christ's blood was shed and, and hates sickness and disease. You don't know God. You don't know God. God hates sickness and he hates disease. Once again, Jesus was the perfect picture of God's will and personality on the earth. You study the New Testament for yourself and you'll find that every time Jesus encountered sickness in the New Testament, he treated it as an enemy and destroyed it. And many times he first you know, dealt with an evil spirit that was the root cause of the sickness. Sometimes it was called a spirit of infirmity or it was a demon that was causing sickness like uh, blindness, deafness, muteness, whatever, you know, whatever it is. And he had to rebuke and, and cast out the spirit before the person could be healed, which is proof. That's one proof that sickness is evil. It was being caused by evil spirits, evil spirits. So you understand that sickness and disease are evil evil things that oppose the most high God. And you can't truly love God unless you hate sickness and disease because they directly oppose him. He is the healer. So number two, you must hate sickness and disease. And when you hate it, you treat it differently. Remember this, you won't seek to change anything you don't hate. You will not seek to change anything you do not hate. Why do you think Martin Luther King Jr. had such a successful, I call it a ministry, um, to do what he did with the civil rights movement? You know, it's, it's not like he was out there looking at the inequality of black people versus white people. It's like, you know what? It happens, you know? 
separate drinking fountains, water fountains, separate schools, you know, can't integrate in society. You know, these things happen. You know how the world is. No, he hated the way that the inequality caused black people to live. He hated the way that it separated society and separated America. He hated it to the point that he was willing to die for what he believed to change the thing that he hated. Jesus was the same. He was willing to die to change what he hated. He hated wickedness. He hated sickness and disease. And you have to understand, you must be the same. You will not change what you don't hate. You know, why would you ever lay hands on the sick and expect them to recover if you think sickness and disease are okay? You know, sometimes it's all right for Christians to be sick and people to be sick and diseased. You know, some, and that's why it's so evil to have this thought process that maybe sometimes the God sends sickness and disease to make us a stronger Christian or a stronger believer, which is total crap. And it keeps people in bondage because they don't know God. That's not God. God is a healer. He said he was. He's not the one who gives you sickness. He said, I will put none of these diseases upon you. That's what he said in the Old Testament book of Exodus. So you understand for his people, he is a healer. He's a healer. So once you see sickness and disease, you must oppose it and you must hate it because it is an enemy of God and it opposes God. Number three, you must hate poverty and lack. Poverty and lack are demonic. In fact, look in the Old Testament, poverty and lack were always a sign of disobedience to God's word. You know, it always makes me laugh, these people who, you know, they act like, you know, um, if, if you teach against poverty and if you teach against lack and if you're for prosperity and if you're for financial blessing, there's something wrong with you because, you know, financial blessing, you know, is not a sign of spirituality and all this stuff. And go back and listen to my, my episode, Is It Right for Christians to Be Rich? Um, but I, I will say this to you. Although money is not a sign of spirituality, if there's lack in your life, it's a sign that you're not spiritual. Because in the Old Testament, you can read it very clearly throughout. It was a sign of disobedience, lack and poverty. 63% of the curse that's found in Deuteronomy 28 verses 15 through the end of the chapter 63% of those curses dealt with their economic well-being and welfare, their money. And it was, how did those curses come upon them? For disobeying the commands of the Lord of the word of God. Poverty and lack is a curse. The Bible says in Job 36 and verse 11, God spoke and said, if, he'll, if they'll only obey and serve me, notice the prerequisites, obey and serve they will spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasures. Job 36, 11, you see that. God said the prerequisite, just obey and serve me and I'll make sure prosperity and more than enough fills their lives. Let me just say it this way to you. God hated poverty enough to command us to bless the poor multiple times throughout scripture and then sent his only son to die so that he could eradicate the works of poverty. 
That's 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. Though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty he could make you rich. Study it for yourself. Paul's not talking about spiritual riches. In fact, in the context of the chapters that you read there in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 9, he's taking an offering and actually referring directly to financial well-being and spoke that verse and said, Christ, though he was rich for your sakes, became poor that through his poverty could make you rich. It's the Greek word pluteo or plutos, which means natural wealth or riches. So understand he sent his son to die so that he could eradicate the work of poverty, then deliver to you wealth. That's found in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 12, where the Bible says, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches, or wealth, one translation says. So what in the world is Jesus dying to receive wealth for if not to deliver it to you. He doesn't need it. He's in heaven. What, do you, what does he need wealth in heaven for? What does he need riches in heaven for? He doesn't need it. He died to deliver it to you. And then finally, and to make he died to make you a part of the Abrahamic covenant. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 29. The Bible says, if you be Christ's, then you're Abraham's seed and your heirs according to the promise. You know, Galatians 3.14, the Bible says that Christ became the curse, that's verse 13, so that, verse 14, the blessing of Abraham could come upon the Gentiles through faith. So the same blessing that he blessed Abraham with is yours through the blood of Jesus Christ. And you can understand very clearly, Abraham, the Bible says, was very rich. Any of God's men, I mean, you look through the Old Testament, anybody that obeyed God was one of his covenant men, became very wealthy became wealthy. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Solomon, Job. You go through the old, t- I mean, it's it's insane. Moses, greatest man in all the land other than Pharaoh. Extremely great. God wants to make you great. You've got to hate poverty and lack. You've got to hate debt. Being a lender is what you're called to be, not a borrower. You've got to hate borrowing. You've got to hate debt, hate lack, hate poverty, hate paycheck to paycheck, hate not having an inheritance for your children, hate not being able to do for your children what God would be very willing to do for you. You understand these are evil things. Lack and poverty are evil things that oppose your God who is Jehovah Jireh, your provider. David knew it best. He said in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I will not lack. If the Lord's your shepherd, your provider, if he's El Shaddai, the many-breasted one, the all-sufficient one, then anything that would cut off his supply from you, anything that would cut off him giving you more than enough is evil. It is wicked and you must hate poverty and lack. Gotta hate it. Number four, you must hate depression and anxiety. Hate depression and anxiety. Why do we have to hate depression and anxiety? Because number one, joy is an anointing. Anointing comes from God. Joy is an anointing. Once again, I'm reading you Hebrews 1.9. Speaking of Christ, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you 
with the oil of joy. Joy is an anointing and it comes on God's people. So anything that opposes that joy is wicked and needs to be hated. Needs to be hated. I hate depression. I hate anxiety. I hate it. I've seen what it does to people. I've stood at too many altars and looked at young people and old people as they rolled up their sleeves and I see cut scars and cut marks going from the wrist to the elbow because people are cutting themselves and and harming their physical body, which is the temple of the living God, because the devil lied to them and told them they were nothing and told them that it'd be better if they just died. I've seen too much of that. I've seen this chronic depression with suicidal spirit attached to it, where people are tempted to take their own life, actually throwing all of their survival instinct to the side for this demonic thought process of suicide, depression, and anxiety. And it comes against the anointing of joy. In fact, the Bible says in Nehemiah 8.10, don't be dejected and sad. Don't be dejected and sad. Don't be dejected and sad. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Remember this. It, it doesn't. He didn't say that the joy of man or the joy in your heart. He said the joy of the Lord. That means the joy comes from the Lord. It is your strength. Anxiety. It is not from God. Peter said in 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You're not to have anxiety. You're to cast it on him. What about a heaviness, depression? No, Jesus said, come to me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, burdened down, and I will give you rest staying up all night, can't go to sleep, anxious, afraid, depressed. It's not from God. And you need to hate depression with a passion. You need to hate anxiety with a passion and know that peace and joy are anointings from God that need to be a part of your life. And finally, number five, you must hate spiritual death. You've got to hate spiritual death. The first four really had to do with you. But the fifth one, the final one has to do with others because Christ is coming back. You will not be empowered to be a soul winner if you don't mind seeing people go to hell, if you don't mind seeing people destroyed. You've got to hate spiritual death. If you love what God loves, you'll love people. And that means you'll hate seeing them destroyed. And that kind of a love will give you an urgency to win them to Jesus before it's too late. Listen, Jesus is coming, and you've got to hate seeing your loved ones on their way to hell. You've got to hate seeing your friends on their way to hell, and that'll give you that boldness and passion and urgency to win people to Jesus, to be a soul winner, to put the fire of God in your belly and go and do what you're called to do. God does not enjoy seeing people die. He's willing that none should perish but that all should come to repentance. And that means that we need to be doing what he's called us to do, which is bringing people into the kingdom before it's too late. I'm going to pray for everyone that's listening to this episode today. And I'm going to pray that God fills your heart with a hatred for the things that oppose him and things that oppose his redemptive agenda in your life. I'm going to pray that God gives you a hate for wickedness 
I hate for sickness and disease. I hate for poverty and lack. I hate for depression and anxiety. And I hate for spiritual death. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, I pray for every person who's listening to this podcast today. I'm asking you, Lord, don't let us become zombies in this final generation where we just coast through life, not caring what comes at us, but rolling with the punches. No, let us become people who take dominion by the power of God and learn to hate what you hate and love what you love. Lord, put a hate in our heart for everything that opposes your nature, your character, and give us a love for everything that you've done for us, a love for everything that you've provided through the redemptive act of Jesus Christ. We thank you for it. Empower us to be effective soul winners before it's too late. Open doors of opportunity for us like you did for the Apostle Paul. I pray in Jesus' name that 2019 would be the greatest soul winning year we've ever had in the mighty name of Jesus. I thank you for that and I give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Listen, I wanted to say before we sign off today, uh, especially as I got talking there about uh, depression and anxiety, which is something that I have had an issue with for a long time. Not that I battled it, but I hated it. I've hated it for a long time because as you heard me say, I've seen too many people destroyed by it. And I, I took time to fast and pray. And I said, God, there's got to be a solution. There's got to be a solution. And as I finished that time of fasting and prayer, God gave me a message that is a solution to depression and anxiety and how to live in overwhelming joy. And if you're listening to this and you've never had an opportunity to read the book that I wrote entitled Praise, Laugh, Repeat, How to Live in the Power of Overwhelming Joy, I want to give you the opportunity to grab a copy of that. And I also did, along with it, a 40-day devotional that goes with it. And I'm going to put the link in the description of this episode for you to go to the online store and purchase the book and the devotional. If you'd like to get it also, uh, it's available as an ebook on Amazon Kindle devices, as well as uh, iBooks. If you have an iOS device, you can purchase it, the digital version. It'll be a massive blessing to you. I love you guys. Don't forget until next time, goodness and mercy are following you for the rest of your life. Talk to you soon. We would love for you to join us in a live service. To find out when Ted Shuttlesworth Jr. will be near you, please visit our website at www.miracleword.com. Miracle Word.